Imagine just trying to fit in, be a part of the group, and taking drugs at age eight. The All Eyes on Me podcast is the true story of Vincent Lilly, his struggle with drugs, addiction, recovery, and onward to hope and health. Be ready to experience another world. Here's author Kevin Zadrill and Vincent Lilly. Uh, welcome back. My name is uh, Kevin Zadrill. I'm the host of this podcast uh, based on the uh, autobiography of uh, Vincent Lilly and the book called All Eyes on Me, uh, True Story of Addiction, Recovery and Hope. And this is our third podcast and I want to welcome uh, Vincent with us today. Thank you. Thanks for being here again, Vincent. It's really important to get your story out and your journey um, as basically an infant all the way through uh, your life, uh, which involves addictions and incarcerations and um, you know, sexual abuse and your, your involvement in school systems. And then ultimately where you are now with your life and, and the great work you're doing with communities and school children, uh, you know, being an advocate and a, and a speaker, um, it certainly have a big impact uh, already on the people that, whose lives you've touched. So I thought it was important with our last podcast, we spoke about your diagnosis as a young infant with hemophilia and then subsequently what that uh, turned out to be for you in the school systems and having to drop out at grade seven. Um, we can speak more, have you speak more than as it is in the book, uh, the chaotic lifestyle that you had uh, growing up as a young uh, child with older brothers and that sort of home environment that helps kind of paint a picture in terms of your experiences back then. And um, perhaps you can kind of give us some more details um, in the book in terms of what it was like in your household um, as a young boy and your older brothers. Yeah. Thank you very much for having me, Kevin. Um, yeah, I guess growing up, it was uh wasn't uh it was very different i guess compared to some other kids that uh have a more regular household for me i guess um there was a lot of a lot of commotion a lot of action going on in my house just due to the fact that i had some older brothers that um just for kind of living a party lifestyle i guess and uh because my mother was wasn't around very much because she worked for the post office on pretty long hours. I guess it kind of gave them, them the opportunity to kind of do what they wanted. And uh, so, yeah, I guess that's kind of where it started. And what sort of events were going on in your household? Uh, you know, I think your mom was working nights for a lot of those. So it really left your older brothers as the care providers for you, but it seemed like there was more, you were more on your own and just kind of swept up in terms of what was going on in the house at the time. Yeah. I, I mean, our household was one of the main spots for, I guess my, my brother's friends and all that, but I do also remember being dragged around a lot when I was a kid, like taken out with my brother, my brothers, or even sometimes taken out with my brother's friends, you know, to their houses or, even to like we were talking about the bush parties and that that they had in St. Norbert. And uh, so, yeah, it was just one of the things that sticks out in my head. And I know in the book, it really, you just described in, you know, in a lot of detail, just at those parties, uh, the, the people yelling, there was fights, uh, 
even sometimes people brought guns, there's gunfire going off, and even incident you described uh, on a bridge that some of the older boys had done to you. Yeah, I think uh, when it comes to our fears in life, I often thought that um, it usually can stem from some traumas that you can go through in your life. And uh, so I think that my fear of heights right now might have came from the fact that uh, I remember being a little kid and someone was hanging me over a bridge, um, like off of a train bridge, and it was a pretty high to the water. And so I don't know, I, I, I remember that. I don't really remember a whole lot of my childhood, but there are the things that I do remember. You'd think that it's for a reason, right? So that was one of the things that I definitely do remember. And you describe in the book, too, even as a really young age, um, one day just walking down the street and seeing a car, and you can describe in terms of what you ended up doing. Uh, yeah, uh, I think it was, I, I'm sure being a kid, being around all these older people that are involved in probably some illegal activities, you know, obviously, you know, kids are always listening. And um, so I'm sure I probably learned some things just from hearing people talk. And uh, so, I mean, uh, at the age of eight, I mean, I was walking and I seen a car and I was all, I guess I looked inside the car and I seen a wallet with some money. And so I ended up, you know, breaking into the car and stealing the, the wallet and, you know, ended up with a bunch of money because the car ended up belonging to a free press um, collector. So they go around, you know, they used to go around collecting money for the people who owed for the deliveries. And so I guess I must have taken that wallet and there was a lot of money in there. And so I ended up, you know, eight year old with a whole bunch of money. Yeah. And that, and, and you also describe in the book another incident, same thing, uh, I believe with your brother walking past um, the daycare school and, and just sort of what ended up happening there. Yeah. I think I was more, I think in that situation, I was a little bit more, um, I was, uh, being told what to do, I think, in that, and I kind of just listened because my brother was with me. So um, he's 18 months older than me, and so he was uh, he was always kind of like looking after me whenever my, I wasn't with my other older brothers. So I, I'd imagine that he was it had to have been his idea, and, and I probably just went along with him. And so we ended up um, breaking into the daycare and stealing a bunch of toys and bringing them back home. And I remember in the book you mentioned because you really didn't have any toys at home. Yeah. Yeah, I don't really remember having very many toys, but. And what's kind of interesting too for me uh, on a personal basis that uh, as you were, as I was getting to know you and describing your story that um, where you grew up and where you're describing this chaotic lifestyle and up all night long and, and no boundaries. Um, I grew up just a few kilometers away uh, in a community right next to yours and a very different lifestyle where we had that structure, we had boundaries and, and to think that we're having kind of in a lot of ways, you know, a parallel life, but in very different ways, is very startling. And, and it's, it's, you know, sad because, you know, you take for granted what you have, but, you know, it's a very different um, lifestyle being so close together. Um, and, I, and like you said, it, a lot of it was just not having that family structure at home. Um, 
What did you find then as you progressed, you got older? I know in the book you started to describe how you um, progressed more of your crimes as you were getting into your early teens. And uh, there was an incident there you mentioned in the book um, regarding a stolen car. Um, yeah, I think that incident with specifically with the stolen car was uh, I... I, I, we didn't really necessarily have anything planned. I just guess I was intoxicated and some of my friends came to my place with a stolen car and picked me up. And uh, so I, like I said, I, I didn't, we didn't have anything planned. We weren't going to go do anything, but I guess the guy, the friends who came and picked me up in the stolen car, that's why they had the stolen car was because they had some plans. And so I guess what had happened when I was in the back seat of the car is because I was intoxicated, I ended up passing out. And um, when I ended up coming to, we were we were in a compound somewhere, and um, just so happens I I must have just gotten up just as this happened. But the police were driving into the compound where we were, and uh, I obviously I was freaked out and scared and. Um, but the guys who are, I was with uh, had to have been in the parking lot. I think they were breaking into cars or something like that. And so uh, they were nowhere to be found. And so I woke up and seen the police. And I guess I obviously was scared. And I jumped into the front seat of the car and ended up getting into a high-speed chase with the police. And where I ended up uh, crashing into a house and getting arrested for the car and for whatever it was that was happening at the compound. And that, that was sort of the beginning of the escalation of, of your involvement with police and the justice system. Um, again, you were a, a youth, and we described a little bit in the last podcast some of your involvement as, as the youth justice system. Uh, but now things were getting more pronounced, and, and it was getting real in the sense of where it was taking you. And um, as you got closer to 18, uh, crimes had gone up. And then you had your first taste really experience with the remand center and that's for adults. And it was a whole different experience for you. Yeah, I think that was a pretty scary situation for me, especially considering I, I literally, um, I had just turned 18 November 20th and the police came and arrested me December 25th. So it was Christmas Day they came. Um, they arrested me. And so I, obviously when I got arrested, I, I, I wasn't too freaked out because of the fact that usually when, you, when you're when you an adult uh, and you get arrested for your first crime, you don't go to jail usually. It's, if it's your first offense as an adult, that's usually, you know, they'll give you the paperwork, the promise to appear, and then they'll let you go. But in this case, because it had to do with um, a house being set on fire, um, there was a lot of those kind of crimes that were happening at that time. And so the, the judge, the judge wasn't uh, happy about it at all and didn't release me on a promise to appear. So I had immediately put, been put into the remand center, which is the adult jail in Winnipeg. And uh, so I was pretty scared because there I was uh, going from a youth facility to a, to an adult facility where the game definitely changes uh very, very greatly in, in a situation like that. What kind of environment is it like inside a place like the Remand Center? Far different than it is for the for a youth center. 
Yeah, it's, it's definitely different because of the fact that uh, in, in the youth centers, you do spend a lot of the, a lot of time um, uh, in isolation. Uh, they don't have you really wandering around together with all the other, all the other inmates too much. Uh, but in the remand center back then, it was set up so that basically you're out all day. So you're basically out with each other, like, well, say, let's say 40 different inmates all day. Uh, you basically just, your day consists of, you know, watching TV or drinking coffee, playing cards. Um, that's about it. So. But it's not a safe environment. It's not like you're sitting there having a good time. Um, there's always an element of danger and unpredictability. Well, that's just it is that everybody has their own issues. And so everybody's, everybody's situation is unique. And when you get all these different people together with all these different uh, elevated moods and elevated situations, uh, it's very easy to get um, conflict, right? And so um, then you bring drugs into play, you know, there's people bringing drugs into the institution and then you, you have that going on and you have these people that are uh, criminals with criminal minds. And, you know, also you got the gang mentality, the gangs that are involved in that whole thing too. And so it's just, uh, it's not a very good recipe for anything. Yeah. So at that point, you were there for at least six months and then released. Um, but it still didn't deter you in terms of you went right back to that cycle again uh, on the streets. Um, and I think it sort of led at some point, and as again described in the book, where you ended up doing a series of, of robberies. Yeah, I think that's just it when it comes to, uh, like I tell people a lot of the time that uh, when you see these people on the news committing these crimes, you know, and there's all these people who are judgmental, and you know, about these characters that are committing these crimes. Uh, they don't realize that these people, uh, they don't want to be where they're, where they're at. Like these things that they're doing, they don't want to be where they're at. Um, it's not like they're happy and they're really uh, wanting to continue on doing what they're doing. And like you said, when I just got released and I went back to the cycle, um, it just made me think of the fact that every time I was involved in doing these things, I never really deep down wanted to do them. But because I was looking for some sort of acceptance or something else to get out of the situation, I was willing to go through whatever it took to get what I wanted out of that situation. So I basically, um, you know, I knew deep down inside, this is not a good idea. I don't want to do it, but, um, you know, I, I want to be cool. I want to fit in. I want to be accepted. And I'm willing to take any risk to get that. Mm -hmm. but and that's just a little bit of an insight into how the kind of way kids and youth and adults are thinking when they're involved in these crimes is that there's there's a lot of these things that happen in their lives is what leads them there and they definitely don't want to be where they're at and and that's so true and that's a very uh good reflection in terms of what you you had of yourself now looking back at that um and breaking out of there is tough and i know in the book you describe at 18 that you started smoking crack and that just compounded that anger that you were was growing in you and 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 that escalated again in terms of what you started to do um which was unfortunately weaving your way towards 
federal prison. And you can kind of describe what led that up in, in your own environment. Yeah, I actually think it's kind of funny now that I think back um, uh, <clears throat> to when I first went to the federal prison and how kind of like surprised I was when it happened. Um, I guess I had, as I started to progress in the criminal lifestyle, I started to meet different people in the lifestyle. And as you progressed, the different people that you met were further along in their criminal journey. And that ultimately introduced uh, harder drugs to the situation. And so with the type of person uh, that I was back then uh, searching for any type of acceptance, uh, when there was harder drugs involved, I, I didn't really shy away from that at all because I think it was like easier for me to get involved with something that was worse because it was more like I would get accepted and I would get looked at as, uh, it was just, it was, I just felt like it was more cooler to be doing what everybody else was doing. And so ultimately I got introduced to crack cocaine and that's what, uh, definitely grabbed a hold of me very quickly and I ended up getting introduced to also into or taught how to do robberies and then I when I once I started to get involved in doing robberies it also became kind of like an addiction and came became easier and easier and then uh very quickly you know, it doesn't take very long to get caught for robberies, especially considering, uh, you know, we're not very bright about the things that we do and we're under the influence of drugs or alcohol. And uh, so, yeah, I ultimately ended up getting caught for robbing uh, three store, uh, a store three times and ended up in prison. Well, I really appreciate the insight, uh, Vincent. It's... Uh... Um, you certainly opened yourself up and it's, it's again, humbling to be here with you talking uh, so candidly. And we're hoping that the message really gets out to our youths and our family um, where they could get ahead of this and not lead, lead down these same paths. And you're doing some fantastic work in the communities here in our, our city and, and reaching the message out. Uh, and I think it's so, so well needed. Um, we'll, we're going to leave it at that for today and we're going to recycle back down and uh, get more of your experiences uh, as you uh, journey continued on to the uh, federal prison system and, um, and really uh, in terms of how that shaped you as a person uh, in many ways. Thank you very much wanted, for today. I just wanted to just say one thing, one more thing quickly. Absolutely. Uh, I think ultimately with this whole situation involving, you know, kids and, them growing up and getting involved in things that they shouldn't. I think what it truly has to do with is uh, we need to let everything else go and just understand what's going on for these people or for these kids or whatever, because that's what we often lose sight of very quickly. And we just want to be judgmental. And however we react to these situations is not in a very good way. But if we just stop and understand that these people are not bad people, it's just you got to understand where these actions come from. And I think that would be uh, would greatly help a lot of people these days. Certainly when you've had your discussions with youth, you're getting a lot of messages from them, are you not? Yeah. And I mean, coming from the type of 
the situation that I've come from, I can understand these, you know, certain things that they say or, you know, the lingo or whatever, that they, how they meet their body language, you know, what they're really saying and feeling, right? Mm-hmm. And, and you mentioned to me, and it's also in the book, that they're going to relate to you because you've had that lived experience. This is, this is coming from your heart. This is coming from what you've had to go through. So it's, it's real and your honesty with it. You don't hold any punches. You, you tell it the way it is. Well, I've noticed time and time again that when someone can relate to someone is when their true feelings and their true expressions come out. And that's what you want to get out of somebody when you want to talk about these deep, dark issues or these problems. You know, you want someone to be able to feel comfortable enough to let everything out. And then you can truly make some progress in your life. Absolutely. And that's really the goal, isn't it? Just to, to give someone some hope and give them some, some pathway so they could uh, get out of that lifestyle and, and, you know, be able to give back to community like yourself. Yeah. And there's no better way to get through to someone than let them see that, you know, that I've been where you've been and you don't have to worry about, you don't have to think that there is no hope and just, you know, by telling them, showing them where you are at, where you are at today, that, um, you know, it's possible for them. Which is a powerful message because you tend to get caught up in the moment. And for teenagers, they're thinking they don't see past their teens. Or in their 20s, they're thinking it doesn't, not going to get better at that point. Or in your 30s. And you're showing that even in your 20s, in your teens, and even now, it but time, there's a lot of time to make change. Yeah, definitely. Thank you very much. We really, I really appreciate uh, the opportunity again to spend more time discussing your life journey and the book All Eyes on Me. Thank you very much. I appreciate it and look forward to the other ones that we're going to put out there.